Christina Young and this is Gloucester Book Club and tonight with my podcast friends we'll be talking about Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. We hope you enjoy it, let's get started. Evening everyone and welcome. Tonight we're missing one of our team, really sad about that, Um, and that's Zoe. Um, she's going to be away from us for a few weeks. She's moving to Wales, but we hope that she's going to come back with us really, really soon. But we are really, really lucky to have one of our book club members, Lee, with us tonight. So welcome, Lee. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have you. Lee, have you been reading anything outside book club during the last few months or have you found it really difficult to concentrate on anything on any reading i would say i have found it difficult to concentrate on reading i think this kind of weird world we're all living in um i find i haven't read anything particularly intellectual i probably read a few kind of daft things that i've just downloaded that have been quite cheap and haven't been particularly intellectual at all but one thing I have read that I found really good and and my 10 year old son recommended it to me so it's a book that he read in class for this school and he absolutely loved it and wanted me to read it too was a children's book called Boy at the Back of the Class by Anjali K. Q. Ralph and he loved it and it was a really really lovely story and the author's written a few other books and it was about um, a boy who's a refugee and how the boy's friends try and help him along when he first starts at the school and how he shares a bit of his life story with the class and how they all take him on. So he gets a bit bullied. There's the school bully in the class and and these other kids kind of back up this new boy and really help him out. And it was a really, really lovely story and incredibly well written um, with lots of, you know, really good kind of descriptive language and things in it and I thought it was a really good way to kind of tackle that subject with school kids as well so I'm mm. really impressed that my son loved it so much so that is one I would definitely recommend to people and so I think what, it works well as a grown-up book not just as a child book. What sort of age group would that be for then do you think for children Lee? Well he's 10 I would say if they were younger than that it might be a little bit more difficult but possibly okay. you know eight to kind of 12 year olds would probably be the, the, the target audience but like I say, I think adults can read it perfectly well. And I felt I learned something from it and was able to kind of put myself in the position of learning a bit more about the child and how the child might feel about those kind of situations, which I think is always a good thing to get from a book is a bit of learning. Hmm. So that's good. At least you didn't completely, you know, lose your, your track of, of reading. A lot of people have. Yeah. No, I think the only reason I've kept going with my reading is because of book club. I don't know what you other guys think. What about you, Joe? Did you manage to keep reading during lockdown? Yeah, but nothing extra. I've just really concentrated on book club things. But, you know, I read ahead in, in our schedule so that I can do all my research. So I quite enjoy having the time to do that. What about you, Stella? Did you, I know you kept reading. Like crazy woman. So I've read a lot, as I mentioned before, this year. The last book I read is the book that you gave out actually at our last meeting, which was the Joe Nesbo book. Oh, you've read it already. Amazing. Yeah, it was just sort of 800 pages or something, wasn't it? It was a big one. Just 800, yes. <laughs> and I, I don't know how many, maybe 600, but it was big. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a different, quite a different type of book to his previous ones that had quite a lot of violence in. 
Although this one did have a reasonable amount of, <laughs> a fair amount of violence in it, not as much as the others, and I really enjoyed it. So that's the latest Joe Nesbo, isn't it, Stella? What's it called? Remind us. Yes, it is. I've totally forgotten what it's totally called. Forgotten. Totally forgotten. Gone completely out oh, of my head. Two brothers. Is it called the Brothers? No. <laughs> I can't remember either what it's called. But by the end of it, you might remember. So let us know later if you have. Yes, okay. Well, thank you, Lee, for telling us what you've been doing over lockdown with your reading. Um, we should go on to Little Fires now. Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Um, difficult to say that surname. I had to look it up how to pronounce it. So I hope I've got it right. Um, so this book um, is a brilliant novel and um, from the author and it was a New York Times bestseller. Now, um, they live in Shaker Heights in Cleveland. Everyone in Sh Shaker Heights was talking about it that summer. How is he, one of the children, uh, the last child actually of the Richardson children, had finally gone round the bend and burned the house down. Um, so Shaker Heights, if you don't know it, um, some of you might, a placid, progressive suburb, suburb of Cleveland. Everything's meticulously planned. The layout of the winding roads, the colours of the houses, successful lives of its residents. No one embodies that spirit more than Eleanor Richardson. And she's the main, one of the main protagonists in this book. So that's just to give you a, a small kind of summary of what this book's about. There's a lot in it. I will ask my colleagues here what they thought about it. Um, Lee, what did you think when you read this book? I really enjoyed it and I've read it twice. So I read it the first time we looked at the book club and I read it again for book club because I was very conscious of the fact that I had watched the TV series I didn't want the TV series to influence what I was reading. And actually reading it a second time, I got more things out of it as well. So it was it was a, neat, a book that was good to read twice. And I don't often read things a second time. Mm. And I thought there's lots of really, really good themes in there. And one of the ones that came through strongly for me was this kind of theme of the family and particularly mothers, I thought was quite a strong theme as part of the family. And the fathers are quite distant within it. So a lot of it is focusing on the kind of the female, the mother characters. So you've got the, the really strong ones. You've got Mrs. Richardson. So when you talk about her being Eleanor, she's always mm. referred to in the book as Mrs. Richardson mm. and very rarely referred to in any other way, which I think mm. says a lot about her in terms of she sets herself very high standards. She kind of sets herself above other people. She's got the kind of archetypal perfect, perfect American family, the kind of the two boys, the two girls. Um, she's also got a job, so she's trying to be the career woman. The career stuff never quite worked out for her in the way she wanted it to. Mm. But at the same time, she's made a massive success of her career and makes sure that everything is perfect in her career, makes sure everything is perfect in terms of the way she keep, maintains her weights and all that side of things. And I think she must be like creaking at the seams with stress and tension, trying to keep that level of perfection going all the time because it's crazy. But then it mm. slips through in other things that she doesn't do. So she sees like sex education for her kids as being the school's responsibility. That couldn't possibly be something that she talks to them about. And while mm. she seems to have this idea that she's got this perfect relationship with her children, actually, she's quite distant from them. She doesn't seem to know a lot about what's going on in their lives. 
Whereas I think she would probably think she was the perfect mother in every shape and form. But yeah. it doesn't take you long to scratch under the surface and realise she's not. Yeah. Then you've got the, the, the anti-Mrs Richardson. So you've got Mia, who's then the single mother. We don't learn until quite late the story of where the father is of Pearl. And yeah. she's you know, quite different. So whereas Mrs Richardson is very materialistic, she has all the perfect things. All the kids appear to have cars. Um, you know, everything's perfect in the house. Mia takes a very different approach to life where it's not about the stuff. It's about the feeling. And actually, you've, you've kind of get the feeling that actually she's got a really close relationship with Pearl. And Pearl mm. you know, tries to stray away a bit in, in, in this story and wants to have a bit more of that conventional family experience. But within the story, you realise that actually Mia and Pearl have got a really close relationship. They really get each other as yes. individuals. But also, Mia's got that weird side to her where actually she puts her career before her daughter as well mm. in a different way. So her career very much dictates where they go in terms mm. of her photography and her artistic side. So it's quite a yeah. kind of selfish streak to her. Um, sure. While you understand it and you kind of empathise with it, it's, it's a weird selfish streak. Yeah. And then you've got some of the other mothers that kind of come up. So you've got the, the kind of sideline story of the, the mother of Mei Ling, Mirabelle, who again is a very poor mother. So you've got like the con the archetypal contrast between the, you know, Mrs. Richardson really rich, some, you know, the mother of who's trying to adopt the baby. She is incredibly rich, appears to have everything. But the real, the biological mother is really, really loves this baby as well and really wants the baby back. So there's lots of kind of layers of motherhood and makes yeah. you kind of question what makes the perfect mother? about the career because you know the biological mother of Mei Ling has no career she just loves mm -hmm. her baby works in a shop you know restaurant yeah the other mother has everything and there's lots of layers around that yeah there are there really are lots of layers what do you what do you other guys think Joe and Stella what do you think about what Lee's saying about the family relationships here well I think it's very interesting that Lee's touched on the the social disparity the social division that exists in uh, Shaker Heights and the huge disparity between the people at the top, the haves, and the people down at the very bottom, the have-nots. It's important to remember Shaker Heights is a real place. This is not all made up. It's a real mm. place in America. Mm. And it's a place where Celeste Ng spent, spent part of her youth. So she knows what she's talking about when she talks about Shaker Heights. This perfect um, cookie-cutter style housing. Everything's perfect and designed by the if you like, the, the overseeing committee of the place, that people will have to do things in a certain way and all have the same sort of lawn layout and the, the, the length of their grass, all that sort of stuff. Weird mm. place to live. Uh, there are there are communities like that, really does mm. happen. Uh, mm. it, 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 in that sort of perfect environment, as it's, as it's meant to be portrayed, to have this huge social range. So you've got the people at the very top, like the Richardsons, who live in what are virtually mansions, uh, huge houses, far more far more rooms than they need, um, and then you've got down a bit to the to the um, and they are essentially upper middle class, down a bit to you say the working class people mm -hmm. who live. So Mia maybe and Mr Yang who lives in in the upstairs maisonette, they okay. live in the rental. This is Richardson's mm -hmm. um, rental, and the idea that somebody should live in a place like Shaker Heights have an enormous house, which is far too big for anybody, and also have, just in their back pocket, by the way, a rental house that they just yeah. have an income from. Yeah. Like you, sure. get, you get the impression that almost everybody in Shaker House has got a rental. 
for a more working class people who live there to live in. Mm. And then uh, Lee touched on um, Bibi, the mother of um, Baby. Uh, she, we don't know where she lives. She's somewhere around Shaker Heights. She's working in a Chinese takeaway or a Chinese restaurant. She's not going to be living in anywhere very expensive. She won't be able to afford the rent for the rental house. So you've got an underclass almost at the very mm. bottom, going all the way up to the Richardsons, the, the upper middle class at the top. It's a huge range of people. I don't know whether that's a metaphor for society in America at the moment or mm. in, in the developed world, maybe. Because we've got a custody battle, haven't we, in this book um, over this Chinese baby, which we, we might discuss a little bit in a minute. Uh, Stella, you know, what do you think about this family? Is family, is concept of family, is it biological or is it created through love? Because there's, you know, that there, there's a lot in this book, isn't there, about adopted children children you know that, that aren't getting on with their parents so what would you say yeah it's, it's so interesting I mean there are so many things in this book and likely I was really really interested in the relationships between particularly between the mothers and daughters mm. um so you have uh, you've got Mia and her daughter Pearl and I really agree they're very close she obviously loves Pearl a lot but we do discover as the book goes on that she hasn't actually been honest with Pearl at all. Yeah. Pearl doesn't know anything about her father, her background, her maternal family, well, nothing about her paternal family. She doesn't even know her father's name. I don't know that she even knows where she was born. I can't remember. So it's really interesting because Mia's drawn as a really sympathetic character. And that's what I feel. And yet, there were some things that you might feel, oh, that's mm -hmm. that's maybe unfair to Pearl. They also talks later on in the book about Mia's relationship with her mother, which was yeah. quite, her mother was quite conventional and Mia very unconventional. And so they didn't seem to understand each other at all. Whereas I think Mia and Pearl, Pearl do. Uh, Mrs. Richardson, I actually really love that character. I mean, to me, she's a real caricature. Mm. She, she really, really is every single thing you can think about for somebody that wants to present a certain appearance. She does. Um, yeah. I think it's true. She's just not very connected with her children at all. She has very different relationships with Le Lexi and the youngest daughter, Izzy, who mm -hmm. we hear a bit of Mrs. Rich Eleanor, as her name is, her Eleanor Richardson's backstory, that Izzy was, I think she was very ill as a baby. And so she was scared of losing her or there were a lot of health issues to yeah. sort of explain why she's had this fraught relationship with Izzy but she still mm. didn't seem to make any attempt to understand her youngest daughter or, or see where she was coming from she just wanted her youngest daughter to comply and fit into the mold that she deemed to be uh, uh, correct the other thing very quickly just as Joe was talking about the properties it did strike me about all these different layers and Shaker's height. And as Joe said, yeah. it is a real community outside Cleveland, I think. It, it actually exists. It the, the, yeah, the duplex that Mia and Pearl lived in with the with Mr. Young living downstairs, it's made very clear in their book. It's actually presented with a, a fake facade. So from the street side, it looks like a house. You can't tell that it's two flats. So even that, you know, the, the sort of that class that's that's allowed into Shaker Heights, they're sort of hidden actually, because mm. the aren't even the buildings aren't even honest. They're pretending to be a, a houses, but they're not, they're flats. 
Mm-hmm. Would you say, well, going back a little bit to family, would you say that the reason that Eleanor and Izzy, you know, don't appear to get on very well is because Eleanor sees so much of herself in Izzy um, as, as a child? And Eleanor, it always felt to me that Eleanor didn't actually achieve what she wanted to achieve. She ended up being this sub- suburban housewife with, yeah, quite a nice job as a local journalist. But actually, she wanted to be a really top level, you know, New York Times journalist, didn't she? She didn't want to be stuck in Shaker Heights. And I think she sort of sees some of herself or quite a lot of herself, actually, in Izzy. And it's almost like, you know, Izzy's the rebellious one. She wants to break away from, you know, the restrictions that her mum's putting on her. Um, And it's like Eleanor is always trying to drag her back. You know, she's always saying, no, I never had that. You can't have that. You know, you've got to do. And I think what you were saying there as well, Stella, about this sort of underclass, this under undercurrent, if you like, of American suburbia is quite dark in lots of respects, isn't it? Um, It's very much a facade, this place. There's so much going on in these houses such a lot of unhappiness would you agree with that I think one of the things that really struck me was they're all just watching their house burn down and they don't appear Mm. to care about any of the stuff that is in it because they've got so much stuff that there doesn't seem to be anything that's sentimental to them you know they're not wanting to like save their cuddly toy from their childhood or anything they just sit on their cars and watch it burn down because it's just stuff they're just buying more stuff whereas Mir and Pearl you know, are packing away the stuff that's sentimental to them and hold value in what's kind of a few scraps of stuff, really. But it's yeah. stuff that's been with them all the time that they've been on the road. Like the car that they've still got, is, you know, that's got a sentimental attachment to it. So they yeah. may seem to be the poor people, but actually they've got a lot of worth in the few things that they do have. And it's back yeah, to that yeah. have and have nots kind of situation that Joe was talking about. Mm. Real yeah. differences in... That, that social standing and the wealth that's going on. Yeah, their their wealth is in their thoughts and hopes and, and emotions, not in physical possessions or a wooden house that could just burn to the ground. So the opening scenes of that book, if you remember it, where the house has just burnt to the ground, hasn't it? And the fireman has come and told them that actually um, it wasn't one fire that was spreading throughout the house, but it was a there were many little fires everywhere hence the title. Mm-hmm. We're not going to try and give you too many spoilers. Actually, there is a difference between the book and the series. If you watch the series, um, there is there is a difference uh, in, in, what, in who has set those fires. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give you, uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't read the book. But um, there is there is a difference. They obviously decided to change that bit in the series. Uh, it didn't actually didn't make it any worse. I really really enjoyed the series. I don't know how many how many here uh, saw the saw the series. No, you yes. there, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I I I, re- I thought it was really good. And there are some differences, but they were both really good. I loved the book and the series. I thought was yeah. outstanding. It was it really drew me in. Yeah, because I think Reese Witherspoon was just the perfect person. You can almost imagine that she read the book and was like, I can do that. That is me. I can be that person. <laughs> that made me that part. Yeah, she was yeah. there, didn't it? Wasn't 
um, she's got this amazing Hello Sunshine production company, which she seems to be picking up all these lots of books and making them into these wonderful drama series, you know, uh, tweaking bits along the way. So there must be other things that came out of this book for you. Did you enjoy reading it? Was it was it something that you felt a bit sad when you'd finished it? Was it one of those? It was. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I Like I say, I read it twice, which is unusual for me to read a book twice. And yeah. still really enjoyed it the second time. I think there's so many different nuances in it. There's a few little bits that are a bit a bit random, like the um, the story where they, they stick all the matchsticks in doors and make the teacher wet her pants. That was a bit... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was just a bit random. I don't, it didn't quite fit with the rest of the story and it didn't quite fit with the characters that they'd want someone to humiliate themselves in that way. It didn't, it did, that bit didn't work for me, but that so many of the other bits did. There's also that element of, they're a bit of the kind of archetypal American family, the Richardsons, like they've got the, you've got the sporty boy, you've got the nerdy girl, you've got the popular girl. So a yeah. bit of that, but I, I still liked that as well. I think you yeah. could identify them and, and see them in other people so I really loved it. What would you say about it for as a book club read would you recommend it to book clubs out there if they're looking for a, something to read? Stella what would you say? Good one for a book club? Yes I would definitely recommend it I think there's so many things that we can talk about that we we've touched on a little bit and we we haven't even had time to talk about them all so there, there are lots of things about race in there which are really oh, interesting yeah. to talk about. Of course the baby which I just I, I really love that bit um I don't yeah. give any spoilers but the baby and then the, the court case about the mm -hmm. baby it just brings up so many things and as with all of these things it's not always that there's a right and a wrong answer that it's very nuanced you know it yeah. is possible to see both sides I have my own opinion about what should have happened but it's po it's yeah. possible to see both sides so I think there's a lot to discuss there's an all there's a huge amount to discuss isn't there in that adoption and actually yeah you can feel for both parties in it can't you quite easily but uh I'm, I'm with you on this I think I know which side I come down on but we're not, we're not going to tell that to the listeners in case we spoil it for them but actually yes there's there's so much to discuss in this book what do you think of Celeste Ng's ability writing you know did you like the way she wrote this book what did you think about the writing I thought it was gripping in the sense that it drew you back. The book draws you back in all the time. I remember mm -hmm. when I read it, I won't say I couldn't put it down, but I read it very quickly in very few sessions, which is unusual for me. It used to take a long time. And uh, I was really drawn to it. It was the first of a series of books we read that were all much like that. We went through a, a patch of um, modern um, contemporary fiction, starting mm. with this. And this, this was one of the best. Mm. Yeah. The best I, I, yeah, she she writes so well, doesn't she? Her she's got this really clever way of writing. Um warmth and uh, and and stuff comes through the writing as well. Um and she delves into the complexities of motherhood and convention and creativity. And she's so good at that. Um there are being a mother is incredibly difficult at times as we as those of us who are know and also, being a dad, I should think, is pretty difficult at times as well. But she really did a good job on, on getting to grips with how difficult it, it can be when you've got children, quite a few children. She had four, um, one of whom is really quite difficult. <laughs> quite difficult I think as well, what, what she did that quite a lot of authors don't tend to do is she created characters that you 
could like bits of them and really sympathize and empathize with them. And there were bits of them you really didn't like. Mm. And usually people kind of categorize, authors are categorized people into goodies or baddies, whereas she kind of created that whole, you know, complexity of human nature in all the characters that she had in the book, which yeah. I think is quite a difficult thing to do, keep a real balance. I think yeah. you apply that to all, each one of them, of the characters. Yeah. They, were, they were good bits and not so good bits. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. It was one of my favourite books. I think that I've read. If if I had to make a list of the favourite books I've read in the last couple of years, I think it would definitely be on there. Um, not just because it's been made into a series on the tally either, but because I just think it was. Oh, I don't know. It it just went so many places in my mind, and um, the whole backstory, which we haven't talked about, which we. Um, Mia and her daughter Pearl. There is such a big story going on there, guys, um, that we haven't really covered. But when you read it, if you read it again, you know, these two stories are running parallel to each other, aren't they? And actually, do you like Eleanor? I mean, she does some pretty unpleasant things in that book, doesn't she? Did you like her? Well, well I think as a reporter, um, she she does behave in a very unorthodox way and way that would be unlawful so she's, mm. she she wouldn't be my favorite character i suppose it's natural if you're a human being in that situation and she's a mother and all, all the things going on that were going on you're going mm. to only did tested them to destruction because she didn't like mia did she so she wanted to find out about mia and she went to a lot of lengths to do that did you like that bit of the book stella when she was doing research yes. into her. Yes, I did describe. She mm. and she just I loved the way that the her superficial justification was given in the book. So she she managed to justify it to herself. But essentially mm. she was just going after Mia. And I think maybe for a lot of the reasons you talked about with her daughter Izzy, that she resented the fact that Mia just lived by her own rules. She did mm. not live by these shaker heart, you know, Eleanor was so constricted. Uh, she chose to be, but she was so constricted by those rules. And Mia just did whatever she wanted. And I don't think Eleanor, I think that really ticked Eleanor off a lot. Mm. And so she's quite happy to go after her. There's a lot of jealousy there, wasn't there, I would say, between Eleanor and Mia. You know, she was actually quite jealous. Because, again, I think she was very unfulfilled, Eleanor. That, that's partly what was at the root of, of the jealousy, wasn't it? Um, so anything else anyone wants to say before we wrap this up? I could put a challenge out there to the book other book clubs because the title Little Fires Everywhere and actually when I read it through the second time she uses Little Fires Everywhere in different ways through the book mm. so it's quite a good one to kind of spot so she uses the, the fire analogy and um, metaphor in various different places so take a moment to spot those and once you start spotting them you spot them all over the place so it, there are little fires everywhere. You are right. And on that note, Lee, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to finish our podcast. So thank you guys out there for listening to us again. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and come back next time. In a fortnight, we will be discussing The Salt Path, which actually is not fiction. It's one of our non-fiction books that we read fairly recently. And it's by uh, an author called Raina Wynn. Um, so we look forward to having you join us again in two weeks' time. Goodbye. There were two books recommended by our book club podcasters in this episode. The first one 
which was recommended by Lee, is called The Boy at the Back of the Class by Onjali Q. Rofe. This is a children's book for ages 8 to 12. The second one, which Stella mentioned, is called The Kingdom. It's the new Joe Nesbo. You've been listening to Gloucester Book Club, based in southwest England. All our podcasts are produced on Anchor FM. You can listen through Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and many more.